0: We are going to read today's scripture from Acts chapter 1. And it says this, it says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. All right. Go ahead and find a seat, you guys. Great to see you. If we haven't met yet, I'm Andrew, one of the pastors here, and I'm just excited, excited that you're here with us gathering today. Uh, in two weeks, we begin our series we're calling Origins on the book of Genesis. Uh, but we're taking a few weeks now to just recenter, very simply, on the vision that Jesus gave his church. Now, despite what you may have picked up from like an apathetic Christian culture in the West, the Jesus who we follow is compelling. He's compelling beyond your imagination, and he's burning with love for the world. So sit up tall and get ready because his plan to redeem the world, it involves you. It involves you. And it involves a lifestyle of radical love and obedience to him. So Blaise Pascal, who is probably best known as like a mathematician and a scientist, but he was also a Jesus follower and a philosopher. He wrote this. You have to wager... It's not up to you. You're already committed. You can't not bet your life on something. You can't not be headed somewhere. We live leaning forward, bent on arriving at the place that we long for. That's well said, and I, and I think he's on to something there. You are already spending your energy and your time on a path that leads somewhere. And Jesus had a whole teaching on this in the Gospel of Matthew that's called the Wide and the Narrow Path. We're all aiming already at some ultimate end in life. And that ultimate end is what you love most. Or in the language of the Bible, it's what you worship. What you love most is what you worship. Now, Pascal's point is that you do not actually have a choice about whether or not you worship. You have a choice about who or what you worship. You have a choice about who or what you worship. That is where you have agency. Um, on New Year's Eve, a couple weeks ago, um, we, my family and I, we were watching the celebration in Times Square. We do this little thing where we watch the East Coast feed at 9 p.m. Pacific. It's like a little hack for those of you who are like me, are very wimpy and need a lot of sleep, which is Definitely me. So anyways, we're watching uh, the New Year's Eve uh, celebration in Times Square. And when the, m- uh, the moment where the ball was dropping, there was this woman. I'm not exactly sh- sure who she was, some sort of singer-songwriter. Uh, she was ringing in the New Year, it ringing in 2023 with billions of people watching. And she was singing a worship song. And you know it. This is a common worship song in our time. It's Imagine by John Lennon. Which goes something like this. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. Imagine all the people just living for today. That's a beautiful song, I'll give you that. And it's actually filled with a lot of great biblical imagery of shalom, God's peace even. But ultimately it's a song about worshiping the human spirit. It's a song of faith in like our ability to live as one without any input from heaven. That's the message of the song. Now, this is like the same tired old trope going all the way back to the Tower of Babel and the book of Ecclesiastes. And I don't think it should shock us that this is what our host culture is all about. I don't think it should shock us that secular society Uh, worships the God of self. In fact, it actually got me excited and all fired up in a good way because I can feel in my spirit that our culture is not singing that song, Imagine, with any conviction anymore. Let me say that again. I can feel in my spirit that our culture is not singing, Imagine, with any conviction anymore. They're still holding to some of its fragile doctrines, but they're beginning to admit to themselves that it doesn't actually have any real power. So worshiping ourselves in the West has been a tragic failed experiment. It turns out we're way worse off trusting in ourselves, and it's leading people to, in mass, deconstruct their faith in the God of self, which leads to... Despair and lack of hope and crippling loneliness, which are all I would consider epidemics of our generation. But ultimately, the reason why I think there's a hopeful spin and good news wrapped up into all of this is I believe that people are in the middle of repenting or turning around to some other ultimate end, to some other ultimate love. And you guys, friends, sisters, brothers, this is the opportunity. Of our, of our decade, of our generation, to share the good news about Jesus, that he is the one true ultimate love. And he offers more than just like a sweet melody to stir hope in an empty promise. He offers us life to the full and power by his Holy Spirit. And I think this is the great opportunity of our time. We're singing the songs of culture still. The God of self, but they're not actually having any real power. People are beginning to admit that now we have an opportunity. Now you might be thinking, well, how do we make the most of this opportunity? Because no one's really paying attention to Christians like they used to. Which actually, I think you're right about that. I think in large part you're right. I think that particularly on the West Coast and on the East Coast of the United States, we have lost any credibility that we've had in broader culture. And the solution is not to elevate Christian celebrities to make Jesus cool again. Like That's not how this is ever going to work. The solution is for you to give your life in undivided worship to Jesus. That is the mustard seed that eventually takes over the whole garden. You giving your life in undivided worship to Jesus. So the reason why we lost our voice in, in culture, I think, is because of duplicity in our hearts. We say that we love Jesus, and we genuinely do. But we quickly and often change our mind back and forth, going back to worshiping the God of self. And the reason for this, I think, is actually pretty simple. Our host culture is just really good at selling us stories, even if the message is weak at best. Let's face it, John Lennon was a great songwriter. He just was. Another songwriter in the Bible is a guy by the name of King David, and he has a really great worship song or two as well. Actually, he's got a whole library of them. They're called the Psalms. Psalm 63, verse 1 says, You, God, are my God, and earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. And I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. This is... Such a proper worship song, by the way. This is exactly the right kind of song for us to be singing. And one of the reasons why we've called 2023 the year of undivided devotion to Jesus, because we believe that it is time, <laughs> it's time for us to recapture and to reclaim the desire your love for God, your hunger for him as a matter of first importance in your life. I want God to be able to look down on us here at Riverbend and find us as our hearts are fully trained on his, uh, fully trained on him, fully fixed on him, fully focused on what he has to say. I want us to be able to pray the great Shema that we talked about last week. I love you, Lord, with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength. And I want us to be able to pray that with real integrity in our hearts, that we're actually free of idol worship, that we're actually free of any kind of hypocrisy, and that we're actually living out the message that we say we believe. And I've challenged uh, friends of mine for years who do what we do. And I've challenged them, those who who want to sort of uh, work on clever church growth strategies without actually addressing the heart of the crisis in the American church. To me, it's as plain as day. People are not going to be compelled by a Jesus who we are half-hearted about. People are not going to be compelled by a Jesus whose followers are bored of him. It's just not compelling. There needs to be a resurgence of holy ambition and hunger for Jesus again that is commiserate with who he actually is. Yeah, we can celebrate that stuff. That's okay. That's actually really good. There needs to be a resurgence of holy ambition from amongst The people of God and that needs to happen in us it needs to start with us and it needs to happen within the church now I know that some of you and perhaps most of you are with me on this some of you are already actually pretty enthusiastic about this which I just have to say is rare in the Pacific Northwest because here in the Pacific Northwest it's cool to be really cynical Which means that some of you are willing to risk being uncool in order to long for God and be desperate for him out in the open. And I honor you for that. I bless you for that. Now, according to my daughter, I'm uncool by like any standard. So maybe it doesn't count or mean anything. But I hope that my words do mean a little something. I'm proud of you. I think it's a good thing. Those of you who are enthusiastic enough, who are abandoned enough in your worship to say, you know what? I don't care how I'm perceived by others. My heart belongs to Jesus and I will worship him and lift my voice. Yeah, come on. Yeah. John Tyson, he's a pastor out of New York City. One of my favorites. He's leading what I think is probably one of the most exciting churches and church movements of our generation. And he's doing it by design, in the most post-Christian neighborhood in America. It's a place called Hell's Kitchen in New York City. And while the ball was dropping on New Year's Eve and the world was in attendance singing Imagine, at the very exact same time, eight blocks away, he was leading with their church and all through the night, prayer and worship gathering, contending for an awakening of the gospel in our time which I think in love, the crowds were there in Times Square, of course, but right off to the side, there was this small kind of wild, crazy core of Jesus followers choosing to skip the secular party to join in with the song of heaven. And that is such a beautiful reality that it's so poetic and symbolic to me of so much of what God wants to do. So Tyson is a uh, le- leading thinker I, if you would ask, if you ask me on renewal re- revival and spiritual awakening and uh, he was recently asked about principles re- for revival where do we see it how do we see it and how can we pray it in and he said basically this you can boil all of renewal revival down to basically this god comes where he's wanted God comes where he's wanted. I think it's about as simple and as palpable as you can put it. So we've come to this point where our generation, you know this to be true, you feel it in your gut. Our generation does not care how good church is if God's not there. We don't care how good church can be without God's presence being there. That's because the cult of self actually does a really good job At telling stories. The cult of self actually does a really good job putting on a show. What the cult of self and all other rival kingdoms to the kingdom of God cannot do is replicate the power of God in any way, shape, or form. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20 says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. I love that so much. So you're like, why don't you stop talking then? And let's just, no, I'm just kidding. Because there's still other good stuff to say, that's why. So when you give yourself to wholehearted, undivided devotion to Jesus, I think many, many things happen. And one of the things that I believe happens is it offers a prophetic hope to the world that there is actually power in the name of Jesus to experience eternal life. Right, So in a world that is completely filled with despair and hopelessness and nihilism and the fallout of a crumbling secular gospel. We have this beautiful hope that is alive in us that we can see in your eyes and, and in your heart and through your life that there is actually hope and there is actually power to be found in some gospel. And that gospel is the gospel of Jesus And in the book of Acts, the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus teaches us how this power, the palpable real power of God is made manifest. These are are ideas, words that we should know and we should experience. Jesus teaches us how his power is made manifest and how it becomes tangible or practical or in the lived experience of the church. Is this making sense? Jesus is telling us, here's how it's going to work. So uh, in the beginning of Acts chapter 1, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, that's Jesus, uh, risen from the dead before he ascends to the Father, he gave them this command, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father promised, which you've heard from me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So imagine this with me. Imagine you're one of the disciples, okay? Jesus has risen from the dead and he's hanging out with you and the other 12, right? And you already believe the gospel. You already, you're putting two and two together now. Like, oh, he rose from the dead. Snap, that means he really is the Messiah. He is the one from God. And we believed and backed the right guy. Jesus is Lord. The kingdom of God is at hand. In the end, we all bow to him. And by the way, they had already learned from Jesus all of his habits, all of his lifestyle, all of his practices. They had been following him 365 days a year for at least three years, probably a bit more. And so they already had a deep sense of what Jesus's life was like. And now he's launching them to carry the torch and to be his witness into all the world. And we know what the calling of the church is. It's to make disciples. They knew all of that. And Jesus says, wait. You're still not ready. You're still not ready. Even though you have all of that. You need to gather together. You need to pray you need to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit that my father promised you. This is such a profound reality, I think, because he's teaching us to not operate in our own strength our skills our abilities our strategies, whatever we can come up with. And he's teaching us to lean and depend on the power that is coming, which is his Holy Spirit. So if you're taking notes, he says something very, very similar in Luke chapter 24. We don't have time to look at that now, but go ahead and write that down and go back to it later if you're interested. Also, let's keep reading in Acts. Verse eight says, "But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." So this is so. The question is, how is God's power being made manifest? Well, here, here's how His power is being made manifest: the power of God is being made manifest through the Holy Spirit. And the promise of the Holy Spirit is now here. It's now arrived. Now, there's lots of mystery about Holy Spirit, as I'm sure most of you are pretty well aware of. Um, but we want to make a few things clear. The first one is that the Holy Spirit is God's personal empowering presence. He's his personal empowering presence. You may remember the Exodus story, like temple theology and all of that. The Holy Spirit is not some abstract force in the universe. He's a person who desires relationship with you. These are very foundational, very important things to know about him, Holy Spirit. And that manifest presence, when God actually shows up in the room, it used to be more sort of the exception to the rule, in a burning bush, in a cloud, in the temple, or something like that. But now, because of Jesus, God is making his home here with us. We are actually becoming the temple ourselves. We are becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a direct quote from First Corinthians chapter 6. So the promise of Holy Spirit is now arriving in the work of Messiah Jesus. Um, notice that Jesus doesn't say just say that he's going to be with us. He says that he's going to empower us. So let's get one thing straight. There's people, shockingly, within the family of believers who would disagree with this, but I wanna be very clear with you. When God shows up, incredible things start happening. That's exactly what we would expect. Of course, incredible things start happening when God shows up because God cannot enter a broken world and not begin healing and transforming it. That would be a contradiction to who he is. Of course, when God shows up, beautiful, wonderful, redemptive, healing, transformative things are going to begin happening because that's who he is. He can't help himself. This is what he does. So Holy Spirit is powerful. When he shows up, he gets to work doing great things. That's exactly what we should expect. And maybe one of the reasons why we don't experience that is because we have a low expectation for God's activity in our midst. And that's something that we need to change. The scripture teaches us to not quench the Holy Spirit of God. And that's our resistance or our lack of belief. Listen. Listen. The, re- the resurrection power of Jesus is alive in you. You don't expect that's gonna have some kind of manifest presence in your life? Of course it is. Is anybody with me on that? Yeah. Okay, sweet, I'm not crazy. You're saying I'm not? Whew. I was close for a second because I was, I was beginning to wonder. Okay, so he says that he's going to empower us, but specifically notice what verse five says. Acts says that we'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, if you know your theology, You know that there's uh, quite a debate around the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which I do not make any promises to resolve anything for you on that debate right now. But I will just point you to what I know the scriptures say. And this is one thing that I know the scripture says about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 3, we see Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River. And John the Baptist saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and rest On Jesus, This is the first reference to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. So in other words, the Spirit isn't just here one second and gone the next. He's sort of touching down, but then he's on his way out. He is remaining, or if you like, he's abiding uh, with Jesus for the duration of his life on earth. That is significant. And there's a bunch of clues uh, here in that text that signal to us that this is the beginning of the new creation that God had promised. But whatever that event is, one thing can be certain. As a result of Jesus' baptism, both of water and of the Holy Spirit, the world is a drastically, dramatically different place as a result of the filling of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus comes out of the Jordan and immediately he begins his, what we would call like his vocational ministry. He gets to work doing the work he was there sent to do. And he's doing that empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, we often make the mistake of reading the stories of Jesus and saying things like, well, you know, of course, we know that Jesus was God. So, of course, he would be able to do X or Y. Now, of course, God's divinity, Jesus's divinity comes into play. But the gospel narrative is very intentionally and carefully depicting Jesus as a human being who's been empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, just like you. So... After Jesus rises from the dead and before he launches his church, which is a very important scene, a very important turning of the chapter from one chapter to the next in the entire story of God, after Jesus rises from the dead and before he launches his church, he says to his followers, now it's your turn. You are going to be baptized with the spirit of God. You are going to be filled with the Spirit of God. This is a cataclysmic shift in what it means to be a person of Jesus. So, how is this power going to show up? I guess that's the the question that's natural and that flows out of this conversation. How are we going to see his power? What will his power be like? What will it look like? Well, the, the, there's lots of answers to that, but the simplest, and I think probably the best way um, to describe the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is that his power is going to show up in the exact same way that it showed up for Jesus. You know, that's exactly what it is. In the same way that God's power was manifest through Jesus, filled by the Spirit, he's going to be manifest in you, filled by the Holy Spirit. It's really not complex. Um, Right after Jesus is baptized and heads off into his ministry, do you know the first thing that the Spirit leads him to do? The Spirit leads him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. That's literally what the Scripture says. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. (laughs) All right, so that can be kind of difficult for us to accept and to understand why on earth would Jesus, or why on earth would the Spirit want Jesus to encounter temptation and the devil? Well, the reason why is because now he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and as he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, he is able, he is able to resist temptation, to obey the Lord, and to live well. And this is so crucially important because this is the fundamental flaw that has been plaguing humanity since the fall, the very beginning. No one can obey God perfectly. Sure, we have our shining moments, but we're not perfect. And we end up aligning ourselves. Instead of aligning ourselves with the kingdom of God, we end up aligning ourselves with the kingdom of darkness, buying into his lies, being deceived, falling prey, and falling into patterns of sin. But that's not the case with Jesus. Jesus sees through the devil's deception and he has power to resist him through the word and through the spirit. And this is so crucially important anytime we talk about resisting temptation. So, and again, how's he doing this? He's doing this because God has given him the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the manifest power of God in Jesus. And again, God is up to something really, really huge, really important, really big in Jesus. You, the same is true for you. You are not destined To continue on in sin, to repeat past mistakes, to be enslaved, you have Holy Spirit with you too. And I hope you can just receive that today. He's empowering you to live free from sin. He has given you his power for that. Now, of course, you have the power to live well, just like Jesus had the power to live well. It's not in the way that some movements have taken it that I call the zap method, where you just get to like microwave holiness, right? Where you just like, oh my gosh, I'm so filled with sin. Okay, Holy Spirit, hit me, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm fully sanctified and holy and all of that. It would be, I don't know, maybe it would be nice if holiness worked that way, but it definitely does not. That's not how the scripture teaches the Holy Spirit works. But but that does, that's not to say that the Holy Spirit does not empower you to live well and to resist temptation. He absolutely does. Not in the zap method, but in the sustained daily filling of God's presence to say yes to his word and yes to him and no to the world, the flesh and the devil. Um, next, the Holy Spirit gave Jesus the power to speak the truth about God and his kingdom. Right? This is profound. Jesus returns from the wilderness and he begins proclaiming the message Good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And uh, this is what the people of Israel, and I would argue all of humanity, has been longing for. Mark chapter 1, a very parallel passage to Matthew chapter 4 says, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue, and he began to teach. Notice what happens when Jesus teaches. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So this is just one example of many that I could give you of people's amazement at Jesus and his ability to speak God's truth in power. Again, like I said at the top, he's actually compelling and he knows how the kingdom of God is at hand and he's persuasively and authoritatively speaking to God's people about it. So when Jesus speaks up in the power of the Holy Spirit, everyone is listening This is another evidence of how the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit comes to us as God's people. Not that everyone is going to be like a pro-public speaker. I would be happy if like one of us became a pro-public speaker, hopefully me one day. But the point is not that we become pro-public speakers. The point is that we become persuasive and authoritative about how the gospel of Jesus is good news to our hurting world. And that your life speaks a message to others about how there is real hope and grace and love and life to be found in Jesus. And when someone asks you about that hope that they see in you, you have an answer for them. And that answer is the Lord Jesus. Yeah, we can celebrate that stuff, that's good. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you find a new authority that doesn't come from you or your voice, it comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And it comes from the wisdom of his love. Next, <clears throat> we see in Mark chapter one, that there is a man in the synagogue who is possessed by an impure spirit. And so Jesus in the middle of a sermon, someone stands up in the middle of his sermon and starts yelling, and this is what he yells. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, you're the Holy One of God. And Jesus says to them, Be quiet. And then he says, Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out to him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they have to obey. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is what we can expect with the manifest presence of God. Now, I know we live in a time and culture where we would much rather see, it's much more convenient to see uh, the demonic as like some archaic way of describing suffering and evil. But here's the reality. The reality is that the scripture says something very different, that we actually do have an enemy And he is leading forward the kingdom of darkness, which sets itself up against the knowledge and the wisdom and the love and the truth of God. And the other truth is that I have actually seen this evil with my own eyes. This week, I've seen the power of the enemy tormenting and trying to claim some of you, trying to destroy your life. In the last week, I've seen this happen but i i pray you can hear me out here the power of the enemy has no authority over you yeah he does not and the kingdom of darkness does not hold a candle at all to the authority and the power of the holy spirit this week i saw the demonic tuck tail and run. I saw the demonic become like shudder in fear as we declare Jesus is king. As we read the scripture that he is victorious. So I don't know where you're at with all of this. You might kind of think I'm one of those religious fanatics which I'm totally fine with you coming to that conclusion. The reality is I've seen this way too often To discredit and to discount, it makes sense. God created the world in all of his beauty and splendor and goodness. And he's advancing his mission, which is to make all things new. And there is a kingdom that is set up against that. But we do not have to fear because we have the authority that comes in the name of Jesus. And we have the, the authority that comes by the spirit of God. Thanks Geneva. I'll take that. <laughs> I really I really really hope that you can see what you have in Christ and the power that you've been given by his holy spirit. And that's not to pursue sensational experiences and that's not to bring glory to your name for you to become wealthy or whatever like don't twist the motivation it's all about him and it's all about his glory and it's all about his kingdom and we're just about saying yes to everything that he's given us and everything that's possible in Christ far be it from me who am I to deny something that God says is mine in Christ who am I to shrink back in fear and cower away if God has given me the authority and the responsibility to claim victory over you? How dare I neglect the power of the Holy Spirit if what he's saying is he wants you to be set free and he wants to see you live in a life that's filled with the glory of Christ? Who am I to say no to that? We must guard ourselves against quenching the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to say yes to whatever he has for us. And that's what this year is all about, y'all. That's what this year is all about. So as soon as they leave synagogue, this is what happens. James and John, they they roll over to Simon Peter's house. And Simon's mother-in-law is sick. And so they immediately told Jesus about her, and so Jesus rushes in to look at her, and she's got a fever, and he holds out his hand, and he helps her. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And that evening, this is what the scripture says in Mark chapter 1, verse 29. After sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and all the demon-possessed. And the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. And he also drove out demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he truly was. That is like, can we please talk about that some other time, because that's a really interesting conversation. But for right now, pick up what Jesus is throwing down here. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus and we have power to heal diseases and sickness. It's just what the, what the work of God is in our time. Part of the work of God is to set the world to rights. The things that are broken, the things that are, uh, that are not right, the things that are evil, people suffering, illness, disease, all of that. Jesus has the power to reverse, and that's part of what he's here to redeem. To save you from sin, to bring you into the family of God, And one of the the ways that the Spirit manifests is through reversing the effects of evil on your physical bodies. And um, that's what we see all over the place. Sick people are getting healed left and right everywhere Jesus goes except for his hometown. Except where everybody saw him grow up. Everywhere else he's got authority and power to heal the hurting and to cast out demons. There's something telling in there for us. But it's amazing. This is a signal that the new creation is here and it's all enabled by the Holy Spirit. We have seen in the last couple of months and a concentration and an acceleration of the miraculous. People being healed from sickness. And we, at the end of the last gathering, we prayed for several people. One who had a scary lymphoma, another one who had been um, uh, barren for a long time and is wanting to be pregnant and we prayed with authority and in no uncertain terms for Jesus to open that womb and to heal that cancer. We don't always get our way. It doesn't always go the way that we want. However, we trust, we believe, and we're seeing uh, God answer these prayers. Just in the last few months, we've seen someone's back completely healed, 10 years in a wheelchair, now walking with no pain meds whatsoever, sustained over a couple of months. We've seen many other things like that. We've seen God open wombs. We've seen God heal skin disease. We've seen all of that in the last couple of months. How do you explain that? Well, you are being awakened to the reality of God's power. And you're saying, you know what? I want to see that now. I don't want to just read about that in these long, long ago stories. Jesus said it was possible for us to have this manifest power. And so we want that too. It's because we want him. And then uh, second to last, we're doing, you guys doing good? Yeah. Sweet, okay. So um, another thing that Jesus does, Mat- Matthew chapter eight, this one will go really quick. Um, they're in the Sea of Galilee in a boat uh, and suddenly a furious storm came up. So much that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up. Lord, save us, we're going down. We're going to drown. <laughs> Sometimes I don't read so good. <laughs> he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? He got up, he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So here's what we see. The presence of God gives us the power and gave Jesus the power to perform miracles. This is a slightly different category from healings, uh, but uh, you know, we want to lean into all of it. He's doing things that are unexplainable. He's bending the laws of nature to do something that's outside of the laws of nature. And it's not for his own amusement. He's not doing it just to kind of do tricks and he's not into magic. That's not the point. But it's for the advance of God's kingdom and it's for the advance of his glory. And God got glory from this. And God, when he, he, when he does miracles, he gets glory for it. So there you have it. The Holy Spirit uh, gave Jesus the power to live well, resist temptation, cast out demons, heal the sick, perform miracles. That's that's how the power of God was made manifest. There's many other things as well, too, like prophecy and stuff like that. But I just, again, just as your friend, as your pastor, as the one who is responsible for carrying this vision forward... Please don't let this be about us. Please don't let this be about chasing some sort of emotional experience. But let's not say no to anything that God has asked us to step into. And the spirit of God in you, it is not about you getting glory. It's all about bringing glory to King Jesus. And sometimes I think because of our resistance Some of our hesitation, some of our cynicism, some of our sophistication, they stand as obstacles between us and the power of God. And listen, we all can't help where we come from. We come from a very rational kind of culture, and many of us have master's degrees, and you're highly educated, and you've got all kinds of things going for you. And so it's very easy to read these things and kind of want to explain them away. Like, oh, fine, maybe some people can enjoy that or something. But that's not at all how Jesus talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, If you're going to be my witness, please do not go. Do not do it unless you plan to wait and pray and be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can do the kinds of things that I'm doing in the world. Notice what Jesus says this is the last scripture. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing and they will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And this is the context for Acts chapter one and two that we read about at the very beginning. Jesus is saying in order for me to send the spirit, I gotta go, but I'm gonna go up there, I'm gonna send my spirit and don't expect, don't have a low expectation for what's going to happen when I'm gone. Don't have a low expectation for when I send my spirit. Don't, don't act as though you have no authority, no power, because you actually do to be my witness, to be my witnesses. And, and so I, I just think it's time for us to renew our imagination and renew our excitement for the potential and the possibility of the move of God's spirit in our midst. And it's time we start living into it and it's time we start practicing it together, and so uh, that's what we want to do right now. We want to pray over you um, that you would be filled with, that you'd be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and so this is how we're going to conclude this gathering. So if you want, Mom, please stand with your feet to me, with me, and uh, worship team's coming, and we're going to respond. All right. Let's just begin uh, by taking in a nice deep breath and exhale. The scripture says that the spirit of God is the ruach or the breath or the energy or the wind of God. So just concentrate on your breathing in and out. Hopefully what this will do is just bring you to center and come awake to the presence of God and today I just want to start by finding gratitude thankfulness in your heart the scripture says that when we approach him we ought to approach him with thanksgiving and praise that all tracks it all makes sense because he's been doing some really cool stuff not the least of which forgiven you of sin welcome to you in the family you're a child of God now that's who you are so let's just begin Thinking him. And now, what we want to do is just notice if there's any obstacle. Anything that might be standing between us and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. This could be an area of unforgiveness in your life. This could be a simple hesitation. Like, gosh, doesn't this feel kind of, I don't know, strange or weird or this isn't normal. Maybe there's some kind of other obstacle that's going on in you as well. At the first gathering, we just sense that there was some folks with cynicism in their hearts. Again, I think that's just symptomatic of the culture that we came of age in. But I also think that it's got something to do with a wound for many of us. Maybe the Spirit of God and His work has been in some ways hijacked or misused in your story and in your history. And so you're just suspect of the move of the Holy Spirit. Anything that tends to be on the emotional scale, pretty high. Just notice where those obstacles are in your heart. And certainly I have no judgment in my heart towards you. Because I've been there, I've wrestled with all kinds of questions and unbelief, and I still tend towards cynicism from time to time. But I think the truth of the word is that those things aren't going to serve you right now. They're not going to help you. They actually stand in the way of what God wants to do. Before the gatherings this morning, we were praying together as a team, and we just got a series of uh, visions. And One of them was of a wind tunnel. And um, Aaron, who's leading us this morning on drums, said he felt like the invitation was to sort of allow yourself to be caught up in the wind tunnel, to sort of cease trying to hold on or whatever, but to just get caught up in the flow. And the second was very similar. Uh, it was um, her sister Geneva had a visual of like a waterfall or a like a water slide of some kind, it was just this, idea, this visual of rushing water, which as you know, the scripture is filled with imagery all over the place about how water represents life, how water represents the spirit of God going into dry and parched land, like in the language of Psalm 63 and bringing a new life. The invitation was similar. It's like, hey, you know, control is an illusion. So when we try and hold on and grasp for control, it's almost like we're fighting against the flow of the waters. We're fighting against the move of the Holy Spirit. Again, part of this is just being human, so don't be too hard on yourself. (laughs) But just hear the invitation of God saying, it's okay to let go. It's okay to not... Try and be in control right now. This is even kind of a tricky thing for people like me to try and do in a gathering of this size. And I've got insecurities too, like, oh, what do they think of me up here? And disappointing anybody. That might be an obstacle that God wants to remove from my own heart so that I'm ready for whatever he wants to do here. Notice it's not even your job to remove the obstacle, but you do have to consent that that you want Jesus to do it for you. So let's just agree with him today. Let's just say, okay, God, I consent to the moving of your Holy Spirit. Pray that you would help me to release control of this moment so that I can be entrusted into your hands to your work and to your authority. Now in the language of scripture, let's just fix our eyes on Jesus himself as though we were in the room in Acts one when Jesus is reminding them of the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit. And just look across that table into his eyes. hear him say to you, it's your turn, it's your turn to receive the Holy Spirit. Just like the Spirit was given to me, now I'm giving it to you. And now I just want to pray a very simple prayer from the ancient church. Holy Spirit, come. Notice those obstacles begin to be diminished, to grow smaller and smaller, and maybe already they're gone. Notice your trust and your faith beginning to rise just a bit. know the temptation. I, I get it. I, the temptation is to bounce, to get out of it, to, to move on, or just ADD brain to take over. But notice the the goodness of God. He's so good. He, he, knows, <laughs> he knows what we need, and He knows that relationship takes time. He's not in a hurry with you. He just wants to love you. He wants to come close to you. He wants to give you the gift that you've been longing for, waiting for. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill us with your power? Would we encounter you? Would we not be relegated to rereading the same stories of old where you used to move in power and people used to hear your voice and people used to dream dreams and have visions and prophesy? and see miracles take place, and see demons cast out. And will we be the ones who are found here on earth with our hearts fully trained on you, and longing for you above all else, above anything else, there's no one, there's nothing we want like we want you. (coughs) You are our ultimate end. So we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Don't let me say it for you. You consent, you ask, you pray for the work of the Holy Spirit to come in your life. You say yes to Jesus. You're not saying yes to me. You're not saying yes to some weird tradition of of charismatic experience. You're, You're saying yes to the promise of Jesus from the scripture. Don't say no to anything he wants you to say yes to. Don't reject the power of God because it feels unsophisticated. Accept the gift of the Holy Spirit and all that it, it, all that it entails, all that he represents. Say yes to him.